Good morning, Woodland Hills. Morning. Happy New Year! Woo. 2017. Goodness gracious. I have the honor of introducing our speaker this morning. Uh, here's a background to this. About two years ago, just, just about two years ago, we, the leadership of Woodland Hills was, was really sensing that um, we needed fresh eyes uh, on our weekend service and some fresh ideas. Uh, you know, we had been pretty much doing things exactly the same way as when we started the church 24 years ago, and it was really cutting edge 24 years ago, uh, but 24 years later, it's not so cutting edge, and, um, and we just feel we needed, you know, some fresh eyes on this, and as things would have it, providentially, it seems, uh, God brought Seth on our radar screen, Seth McCoy, and yes, amen, amen. He was literally a godsend. Uh, he, he just has a, a, a creative way of looking at things, an artistic flair, a sense of ambiance, things that I'm not so very good at. And um, I mean, he, he completely renovated, I don't know if you've ever been to Groundswell, but you ought to go there. It's an incredible restaurant, uh, coffee shop in the Midway area, and it was this little dive, and he transformed this into this really cool environment, and it has great food and great coffee. There's the end of my plug for that. But, um, uh, and so he came on, and those of you who've been here for uh, two years or longer know that the way this service looks, the way this room looks, and the way it feels, and the intimacy of the place is so very different than it was two years ago, and that, for the most part, the credit goes to Seth McCoy. Give him a thank you. I mean, it, it is just... We used to all be up in that stage there. You guys felt a mile away, and now it's just so intimate. You know, I can, it's just so cozy, and I don't know, there's just a, a, lot of, a lot of great change. The other thing is that we were looking for a, a kind of a consistent replacement for, for me when I was out of the pulpit, and uh, Seth has brought that as well. He's an incredible communicator. I think it's been great, largely because his style, he's very effective at it, but his style is so different than mine. And I, I'm kind of like, you know, Mr. Spastic sometimes. I get all excited and whatever. And, and, and he, Seth is kind of more of a Zen teacher, you know, this quiet, calm, this mmm sort of thing. Oh, that's a, In other words, he's really boring. Yeah, it's just it's like... It's a, <laughs> all right. So uh, the other thing that was that when we brought him on, there was from the start, um, I, I, a, it, it's just a sense that we, we, it would be a time of discernment. Uh, Seth was looking at the question, what really is his call? Where is he to be, to be plugged in long term? Uh, and, and, and so we were in this process of discernment, always praying about that. And it's become clear just in the last couple of months as we were doing this, um, and there's a real consensus around this, that his gifts, his callings, his uniqueness will be maximally served outside of Woodland Hills. I know, yes. It wasn't the conclusion we were looking for, but... But there's a sense that, that he, he's to be set free to do something else and, and to explore that. And, um, and people are always, whenever you say something like that, they're always thinking, okay, what really happened? You, know, you had a fight with Greg, didn't he? You know, we're always fighting. The guy drives me crazy. Are you kidding me? We're always fighting. That's normal. But one of the things I love about Seth is that uh, he's the kind of person where when, when, when you have a discussion about anything, even if it's a really hard discussion, all cards are on the table. I love that. Like, it's like, just say it straight. I, can't, I hate guessing what people are really saying. I'm no good at that. And he's a straight shooter. I love that. And so we've had some real good conversations. Some of them tough, but uh, it, it's been great. But honestly, it's just been about uh, a, 
a, a consensus, congruity of, a, of, of a, this new season that he's be launching into, a new aspect of his journey. And this being January 1st, and we're all kind of thinking about this year's journey, it seems really fitting to have Seth come and deliver this message. And this will be, he's going to be around for another month um, to you know, help transition things. And he'll be back here on occasion, who knows how that's going to go, uh, wherever he ends up, but but uh, be speaking here. But this will be the last message he's giving in an official capacity as part of the staff of Woodland Hills Church. And so as he comes up here, would you give him a warm thank you? I mean, he's just, dude, you rock. Amen. Yes. Take it away. Oh, now. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Boring, huh? Everybody ready to get bored? <laughs> all right. Uh, as you all can imagine, um, it's a very overwhelming moment for me. Um, it really is hard to process things that are so deeply personal um, in such a public moment, um, but it is the territory. So I find myself today... Um, this being the third uh, time I've given this talk this weekend. Um, I find myself with a very full heart for you, Woodland Hills. Uh, but it is still a sermon, and so I do want to tell you some things that I kind of hope will stick with you. Maybe some things that you can use. Um, maybe 2017 is not just an open door for me. Uh, maybe some of you are facing open doors. Um, Okay, now first off, on a personal level, a lot of you have asked what we're going to be doing next. And the answer is, I don't know. Um, you know, it's interesting, Abraham, among other characters in the Bible, some folks get called to leave before they get the instructions of where they're going. And that's very much the way I feel. So in the meantime, what I'm going to be doing over the next couple of months is binge-watching Netflix. <laughs> so when you think of me, you can just get that mental picture, okay? All right, I'd like to talk to you about looking through Woodland Hills through three lenses. Uh, and this is kind of a unique opportunity that I've had to view Woodland Hills over the years. And I want to do that as both a way of saying thank you, uh, and again, also to give you um, some lenses that you might be looking at scenarios in your own life through. Maybe not now, but maybe in the future. Um, now, the first lens I ever looked through, um, and this is going to be uh, your last time at least for a little while to see my amazing flip chart art, uh, and so I decided to design a pop quiz for you, okay? Um, what kind of lens is this? What is that? Yeah, telescope. The first lens I ever looked at Woodland Hills through was through a telescope. Telescope is an instrument that you use to look at something that's a long way off. Telescope is an instrument of vision, of hopes, of dreams. The sky is the limit and gazing at the stars. And when I think about this lens, I think about what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi when he said this. He said, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars. You shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. 
Now, the way we use that term, shine like stars, often we talk about celebrities, but it's not quite the same in Paul's writing. What he means is in which you shine with simple, radiant goodness as you hold out the word of life. And a little over 10 years ago, when I lived a long way from here, I heard about a different kind of a church, a church where the pastor would preach with no shoes on. I thought that was weird. And where the people that are part of this church would do all kinds of things, take all kinds of risks, say hard stuff. And it sounded crazy from a distance, but they were doing it because they were so committed to holding out the word of life. And I came here for the first time, and I expected to hear some good ideas. I, I, I thought that I would see some really great ministries. And like a whole lot of people, I just got ambushed here. And God spoke to me, and I was overwhelmed. Came to the church for the first time, I had no idea. And I think the reason that happens to so many people who come here is that over time, sometimes, people can forget. They can forget what God could do in their lives. They can forget what God's people can be. They forget what a church could be, what a church might be. And they get reminded when they come here that to devote yourselves to a good God and to devote yourselves to the community of God is just a noble thing to do. In fact, the telescope is what we use when we look in the book of Acts and we look way back across 2,000 years and we look at the first church that came together. See, because once upon a time, there was a community that was so radically devoted to Jesus and his teaching and so irrationally committed to each other that barriers would just come down. They'd come down between people when they had never come down before in the history of our world. And Greeks and Jews, and males and females, and rich and poor, they would be together in the same family. Their divisions didn't matter anymore. People that had resources would give it to people who did not, and everyone would just become a servant. They would use their gifts, and they would strive to do it, not to get recognition or status or get all puffed up, but they would do it just to serve and love each other. And these people would build community, and they would live with open and sincere hearts. It would be indiscriminately invitational. It was just anybody who wanted to be part could come on in. Rejects and loners and losers and sinners, people that couldn't find a place anywhere else, found a home within this community. And our question, and my question, is couldn't it happen again? Why not? Is God short on power? Has the Holy Spirit's arm all of a sudden gotten short? I don't think so. And I think one of the reasons why so many people podcast and come here and some even move here from other parts of the country and other parts of the world is because churches and individuals and leaders can sometimes forget to look at the stars. And they forget about what love might be. And they forget about what love could do. And they just end up trying to preserve the status quo or hold on to life as it is, and they can avoid change. And I know how soul-defeating that can be for people because I've been there. I've forgotten to look at the stars. And when I first came here, I found out that this is technically a Baptist church. Some of you are learning that for the first time. 
And I don't know if you know this, but Baptists can be notorious for resisting change sometimes. It's an old story. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? A 10. It takes one to change the bulb and nine people to join a committee to talk about how good the old light bulb was. (laughs) So I just want to tell you, never stop changing. Just never stop. And if it feels scary, and if it feels threatening, and if you're afraid you might lose a little bit of control, good. Don't stop changing. Because if you stop changing, you stop growing. And if you stop growing, you stop living. And you can't hold out a word of life if you're not living. Now, I don't know, I've often heard a phrase around here that you hear in lots of churches, that I've heard in lots of churches, when people try to give reasons for why they should keep doing something that they're doing. A lot of times the phrase that gets said is, but we've always done it that way. Question, where in the Bible does God ever say, but I've always done it that way? He never does. He never does. And when Woodland Hills got started, it was because a bunch of pioneering people who mostly didn't know any better said, we need to reach a new generation. We need new music. We need a new song. And a lot of people in older generations said, no thanks. And now some of those young pioneers who started Woodland Hills are the older people. (laughs) And I hope you never get too old to look at the stars and think about what could be and what might be. And I hope you never stop asking the question, what's next? Because once a church called Woodland Hills did get started, the people who pioneered it wanted to reach out to every junked up, messed up, screwed up sinner in the St. Paul area. And if you take a look around at some of the people seated next to you, I think we're doing pretty good, right? (laughs) So I hope you remember that it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about the hopeless. It's about families that are breaking apart. About the guy who works the night shift at the SA and he's feeling alone and he's desperate for a community. It's about the under-resourced and the marginalized, the forgotten. It's about the invisible. It's about people who haven't darkened the door of a church since they were a kid. It's about people who on the outside look like they have their lives together, but under the surface, they're searching, they're longing, they're looking for hope and meaning and purpose. Well, I was one of those people who looked at Woodland Hills through a telescope. And I saw people who would serve at the food shelf. I saw people who would move across the country to be part of this church. I saw people who would attend one service and then stick around for the next one so they could serve in a ministry, serve in kids so the kids could know God. I've seen people making incredible sacrifices to invest in the kingdom and do it at great personal inconvenience. And you know what happens when I see that? It gives me hope when I see you do it that maybe I could do that too. And that's Woodland Hills through a telescope. And everybody needs a telescope. And for whatever reason, and for a however long it lasts, I want you to know there's a whole lot of telescopes on this place. So don't forget that there's life in the words that you hold out. 
And don't forget to shine like the stars. Get it? Good. Good. <laughs> now, for some time, the only lens I saw Woodland Hills through was a telescope. And then in a process that still blows me away, I got invited to come here and I got to join the staff. I got invited to be a teaching pastor at this church. And I started to look at Woodland Hills through a second lens. Let's see if you can guess what this one is. What's that one? Microscope, yeah. First was a telescope for looking at the stars. Second was a microscope, and they're real different. With a telescope, you see highlights. You see big visions. It's breathtaking. Under a microscope, you see everything. You see the miracle of growth, stories that would blow me away. I talked to a couple after the first service. Um, it's an incredible thing that happens. Somehow, God used the sermon that Greg and I talked about to help heal their marriage. Stories that just blow you away. I saw people making amazing sacrifices to serve others, people getting healed of all kinds of stuff, marriage getting healed, people behind the scenes making sacrifices that you won't ever see up here on the stage. That's what you get to see under the microscope. You get to see the wonder of life in all of its complexity and its messiness. Paul wrote about this to the church of Ephesus when he said, he hoped that they would be cleansed by the washing of the water through the word. And that that washing would remove every flaw and blemish so that the bride of Christ could be radiant. Don't you want to be radiant? Me too. And the microscope is where you see flaws and blemishes that Paul talked about. And that's not always a fun thing to do. Uh, I recently bought a pair of jeans and when I tried them on in the fitting room, I was amazed at how slim I looked in the mirror. I got home and put those on and looked in my regular mirror, and I did not nearly look as slim. <laughs> did you know that there's a company that makes mirrors that will make you look slimmer, and primarily they put those in fitting rooms? Did you know that? <laughs> Diabolical, right? <laughs> now, that's one kind of mirror. There's another kind of mirror. My mom actually had it in her bathroom. It magnifies your face like 10 times. <laughs> you seen this kind of mirror? I don't know why you'd ever want one of those. <laughs> First time I looked at my face in that mirror, I was horrified. All kinds of things growing on my face that shouldn't be growing there. You could see real clear, right? It's kind of depressing. Well, that's looking under the microscope and seeing the flaws and blemishes that Paul talks about. But see, I get, to get, I get this huge gift of being able to do life with a group of people under the microscope here at Woodland Hills. I got to plan and dream and argue and fight and learn and pray and laugh and cry. Now, I don't know that the flaw or blemish factor is any lower or higher around this church than it is anywhere else. But I don't know that I've ever been to another place where the commitment to really listening to and challenging people to follow their calling is any higher than it is here. And for these past almost two years, the executive team has been talking and praying and listening 
and looking through the microscope at my life, asking the question, God, what are you doing here? And to go under the microscope can be hard. It means you've got to share. It means you've got to listen. It means you've got to be willing to follow where the Spirit leads. And that means that you no longer get to be in full control of your own little life. And that can be real painful. And for some of us, that can be real scary. And I want to promise you, those of you who are newer around Woodland Hills, that if you lean deeply enough into community around here, you could find your calling too. It's not just pastors that get these, you know. This is your one and only life. Don't you want to live it the best you can? Because when you do, you will make your contribution to making the bride radiant. And so part of what I want to tell you today is that I hope you let some people see your life. I hope you let them look at it under the microscope. And I hope that you find your calling. And I hope that you do it courageously. And I hope you're obedient to that calling when you find it. I really hope you do. You know, sometimes in a church like this, people can just kind of float on the edges, attend a few services, make a few friends, and keep at a safe and manageable distance. But I hope that you don't do that. I hope you get involved in passionate serving and authentic relationships because that's when Christ can start to get formed in you at a real deep level at the place that you really need it. Because we all need a microscope. I've been under the microscope for a little less than two years now, and I've learned and I've grown more from inviting people to look at my life under the microscope than I ever did from looking through a telescope. I hope you find that. Get it? Good. Good. Now, there's a third lens of viewing Woodland Hills. This one is going to be a little harder, maybe extra credit. You guys are two for two so far, mostly because of my artistic skills are limited. What's this lens? Yeah, rear view mirror. So there's a telescope from real far away, and then there's a microscope from real close up, and then there's a rear view mirror. Now, I've been thinking about this lately and getting ready for this talk. I'll experience primarily one of two emotions when I look through rear view mirror. The first one you might be familiar with. You know when you're riding on the freeway and a little too late out of your peripheral vision, you notice a car, and it's a car that has red and white lights on the top of it? And you look down at your speedometer and you're going 10 over on the freeway. You know that feeling that you get right there? And what you want to do is slam on the brakes, but you know that the cops always are looking to see who slams on the brakes. And so you try to pray the car to slow down. (laughs) It's never worked for me. If it has for you, then good for you. And you look in the rearview mirror and there's this sense of worry and fear, right? Worry and fear. And if that car with the lights doesn't turn a light on and doesn't move, you get that feeling of relief. You know that feeling? Yeah. That's not the kind of emotion I want to talk to you about when you look in the rearview mirror. There's another kind of experience that I'll have. One of the most beautiful places I know on this planet, it's a real small town on the coast of Southern California called Newport Beach. And almost every summer I load up our family and we drive all the way to the ocean. 
And when we get there, we eat all the In-N-Out burger we possibly can. You think my face is red now? You should see me sunburned. It gets worse. I make my attempts to surf and I'm reminded uh, of my age. And we try to watch every sunset. And we look over the ocean and we get sand in between our toes. Everybody needs a little sand between their toes. It's just a magical place there. Now there's a road that leads out in and out of Newport Beach called Balboa Boulevard. It leaves the little peninsula that we stay on and it goes up a foothill. And as the road curves around up the foothill, when it gets towards the top, just a few miles downhill behind is the Pacific coastline. And when our week is up, and I pull out of Newport Beach, when I get to the top of that foothill, I always check the rearview mirror. When the weather is just right and the fog has blown away, and the air is crystal clear, you can see right down to the beach. And then you see the silvery gleam that is the Pacific Ocean. And any time I see that, I always think, man, I've been there. I got to walk around that place with my own two feet. I saw it in person. I was there. And it always makes me happy. And it always makes me glad that such a place exists on earth. And it always makes me grateful that somehow I got to be there. And always in my mind for those moments when I'm looking through that rearview mirror, I will replay the best of times that I've had there. One morning in the next few weeks, I will wake up and I will look at Woodland Hills through the rearview mirror. After seeing this place through a telescope and under the microscope, I will look through a lens that I have not looked at yet. And even though I've never done it, I know what the overwhelming response will be. Use the words of Paul. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I think of you with joy. Mostly when I think of Woodland Hills, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful in a way that these words will never be able to capture. For ministry experiences I never dreamed were possible. For moments of worship, man, we've had some moments in this place. So holy and so joyful to me and so God-filled and God-breathed. It's a funny thing when... I found when I was thinking about these moments, my biggest temptation was just to get up and tell you all the names of the people that I'm so grateful for that made those moments possible. I thought about how many hours Greg and Janice and Paul spent with me, helping me come to clarity about my calling, the very clarity that now leads me away. I think about the great sacrifices from so many people who have taken this vision for a new kind of weekend service and turned it into a reality through their blood, sweat, and tears. Maybe the blood part was a little dramatic. It's taken hundreds of hours from some of the most gifted people I've served alongside of. I'm so grateful for you. I think about my boss, Janice Rowling, and the amount of time that she took from her so many other responsibilities here. 
time that she decided to give to helping me think about and talk about and pray about my calling. Now, sometimes when you're a leader of a team and one of those team members senses God calling them to work somewhere else in another part of the kingdom, you can be resentful or hurt. And I've experienced that before. But the only thing I have ever experienced since coming to clarity about my calling and my calling away from Woodland Hills from Janice is the desire to see me follow the voice of God. And when I look in the rearview mirror, I'll look back and think, I got to work with her. I think about Paul Eddy, one of our teaching pastors. What a brilliant mind and what a brilliant man. You know, when someone knows as much as he does about theology, there can be a temptation to get arrogant and real puffed up, self-serving. And yet the only thing I have ever known of being under Paul's leadership is generosity and gentleness and servanthood. And I won't forget that. I'll look back in the rearview mirror and think, I got to work with him. And then I think about Greg. This remarkable and pretty crazy and also gifted person. Let me just say one word about this unusual dynamic, about being in someone else's pulpit. In most churches, senior pastors tend to be quite jealous and guard the platform, sometimes not celebrate when someone else does well there. And often they kind of want the attention focused on them. And I've experienced that before. For any of us who've ever served as teaching pastors, this can be a really tricky dynamic. But it was never like that here. Anytime I've ever done well in the pulpit, only response I've ever known from Greg in a moment like that is sheer joy and encouragement and delight. And that's a rare thing. And I'll look back in the rearview mirror and think, I got to work with that. And there's so, so many other names for which I'm grateful beyond words, but I can't say them because you don't know them. Often I'll talk to people uh, around Woodland Hills and I'll ask them, how long have you been coming here? One of the things I've noticed is that you can tell when someone feels like Woodland Hills is their home because there's a little shift in grammar. Before someone feels like part of things around here, they'll talk about Woodland Hills in the third person. Up until that point, they'll say they when they talk about Woodland Hills. What are they like? Are they a cult? Are they even Christians? Do they have their own zip code? What are they doing in that huge building? But once they become a part of it, it's not they anymore. From that point on, it's us. From that point on, it's we. And now my family and I will likely move a long way away from here. And we will go work in another part of God's amazing and beautiful vineyard. But in spite of that, I don't think I'll ever be able to go back to saying they. You will always be us to me. You'll always be we. And when I look in the rearview mirror, I'll be so thankful that I got to be and that I get to be a part of us. So mostly what I want to say today is thank you. 
Now Greg's going to come back and lead us in a time of communion.